So after the election, right, we were in a room with George and his agent, Marvin and me. We got told the result. I couldn't help myself, but I said to George, I told you I'd get you out. He's a decent guy. I mean, he just shouldn't have been mayor, that's all. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. Thank you very much. In this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked, it's all about politics again, but with a slightly different twist. We aren't talking to somebody who puts himself forward to be voted for, who wants to be in front of the cameras talking into a mic. We're talking to somebody that likes to operate in the shadows, a Svengali, a puppet master, as it were. He's a successful election campaigner. He's worked on both Mayor Marvin Rees's campaigns and MP Kerry McCarthy. Today's guest is Kelvin Blake, a long-standing member of the Labour Party in Bristol and an election campaigner. Enjoy. Hi, Kelvin. Hi. You're somebody that's been involved in politics in different sort of guises, also in different eras in the city. I think started out as a councillor, and we'll talk a bit about that, but often you've been like in the wings, behind the scenes type person, and we haven't had many of them on, on the programme. Under the radar, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm quite fascinated in that. You're a fixer, a Svengali, <laughs> a puppet master, yeah? Yeah, I wouldn't quite quite as far as that. But yeah, yeah, someone who um, essentially kind of, I mean, I make things happen for the Labour Party, but also I've got kind of obviously, you know, public role on the NHS and charity boards as well, which I love doing. Mm. I mean, basically, I sort of started off wanting to basically improve the city I love I love to live in, and I was yeah. born in. So. Which part of the city were you born? So I was actually, funny if I was born about, born in South Mead, but taken back to, a pub on Lodge Causeway. My parents ran pubs in Bristol. So yeah. I spent the first 10 years in, in Fishponds and in Eastern. Then we moved to Noel West when I was 10. Which pub was that? Was that the Spotted Cow? It was a Spotted Cow. Yeah, and then, I know. It was I, went to the pri- I went to infant school over the road in Chester Park. Oh, yeah, Chester yeah. Park. Yeah. So then a full moon, and this was in the 70s. So I was born in yeah. 71, 51, um, 52 this year. And then we moved to the Pit Pony, which is now a load of flats, but at the back of the bus depot in mm. Eastern. So, yeah, moved from there in 1981 up to Noel West. So you you're, you spent quite a lot of time in Noel West, yeah? Yeah, well, that's my formative years, you know, so... Yeah. From, from 10, what age to what age to what age? From 10 until about 30, and then I moved to... And I moved out of home then and moved to... No, you're, but so you're one of the rare people that's traversed the, the river then, aren't you? I, in my experience, yeah. a lot of people tend to stay one side or the other, regardless of what kind of happens in their life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, that, basically, I mean, it's simple down to, you know, people may or may not know, but I had a motorcycle accident in 2006, and we'll deal with that. But yeah, I was just yeah. for a house that was accessible, to be honest with you. And a lot of the houses in South Bristol are smaller and so I've sort of, you know, came back to fish ponds because I could get a house that was like bigger, bigger doors and make it easier for myself to get around. Basically, um, I'm paraplegic, so two six seven, and uh, but I use a manual, which I was just basically wheel myself around. Yeah. Well, you've you've brought it up, so you might as well talk about it. So you had a motorcycle accident. In uh, how old were you? 
So I was 34. What Basically, it was two days after the local elections. And I yep. went to help a guy called John Bees, who's, who's since passed away. He's a long-standing Labour Party councillor. And I went to help him in his election. And um, basically, I spent, you know, all this time in a car driving over there, helping him in the election and got him elected with 38 votes, which was great. Then two days later, it was a Saturday, obviously, and um, I took the motorbike out. I had a thousand cc Yamaha R1 and took that out for the first time and was just going just by the back of the council house towards Jacobs Wells roundabout. And I misjudged a car on a roundabout and um, and hit the car. And rather than just falling off, I sped, put the, pulled the throttle back, went from 30 to 60 and went through a, a sort of a unit. A sort of It was a converted pub into flats. I went through one of the flat windows and took the car, I took the bike sorry, with me and broke my back, arm, ribs. It was in a pretty bad way. But I was lu- very lucky that an anaesthetist was knocking off of work from the BRI and saw it all unfold and was able to basically save my life. So, uh, so you I, you could have been you could have been gone then. Oh, well, no, that no come, yeah. It's a woman actually, but no, women, no doubt yeah. about it. I'd have been gone if it wasn't for her. I couldn't breathe. I was struggling to breathe. I had one collapsed lung and one bruised lung, and she was able to stabilise me enough for the ambulance to take me up to the BRI and to be worked on. I was in hospital for six to seven months, so I spent. A period of time in recovering from the tra- trauma in yeah. intensive care. Then I went to Frenchie, as it was, because Frenchie was open then. Went to Frenchie to have my back fixed, because obviously I've broken bones in the back. Had that fixed, and then I went down to Salisbury, which is the spinal unit, and that's a rehab unit that basically teaches people who've had traumatic spinal injuries. Basically, you were 34, up. Kelvin, at the time. Yeah. yeah. Having been able to walk. Yeah. And then not being able to walk. What kind of impact does that have mentally, emotionally? You take it in stages, obviously, you know. So yeah. when you're sort of recovering, you're just focused on getting better and not really knowing what world what, what life's gonna kind of be like. But when you go to the spinal centre, it's then really focused on getting you out and rehabbed. But you're amongst a whole load of people, right, who've had even worse injuries than you, and it's quite a leveller. So okay, it kind of yeah. gives you grateful for what you've got rather than, you know, what sure. you have not had. Like, it does take some getting used to. I mean, you know, and, um, and but I've been, I'm quite a positive person. I've been lucky that I've adjusted to it. But it was pretty traumatic. And also you're sort of like managing your own family through it as well and friends that kind yeah. of, you know, so it's was tough. There, was, was there, it is tough, but was there a part of you that, I don't know, at one stage, did you think you could potentially still walk again or did you feel like actually i can because there are people who were told sometimes that they can yeah, um, yeah no, that, that uh, sometimes manage to sort of defy your doctors you know and the hospital's sort of forecast and and, and do so was there a part of you that was still hoping and, and thinking that no I, I just come to so basically the doctors knew it was a such a severe break that i severed most of my spinal cord i said some there but it was so that badly damaged they knew immediately that it, i was going to mm. be a like full paraplegic. And they told my mum, actually, that when I came around, I had, I had to be told straight away. And yeah. so that was all managed. Yeah. So I, I really came to terms with it pretty quickly, actually, and just felt that, you know, I now need to like kind of get as much out of this, out of rehab as possible. 
and be, you know, as kind of fit as I possibly can to do as much of what I could do from a wheelchair. So I kind of come to terms with it quite quick. And you have psychological support, but what you find generally in hospital is the people that go to these sessions are are not the ones that probably need it so much. It's the ones that avoid it. But, you know, it was all helpful. And being a bunch of a young people, relatively young people in hospital, because, you know, a lot of people have spinal injuries. They're sort of active people doing active yeah. things. So being amongst that group of like-minded people was kind of helpful. And we were sort of on a journey together, you know. And how did it change your life? Oh. In what ways? I mean, it must well, be I, completely drastically, drastic change. You know, one thing was I kind of, I had to, I went, I left my flat that day in Knoll. And I never went back because it was up two flights of stairs. So like my family and friends packed all my stuff up. We rented it out while I was in hospital. So that yeah. changed. So when I came out of hospital, I rented somewhere down by Asda in Bedminster with a lift. So immediately I was in a different location. Second of all, I mean, I went back to work actually. So I was working at the time for BT. I was a program director managing big IT projects. So yeah. I went, luckily I went back to work and I had a really good boss at the time who supported me back to work. And I sort of actually did some of my interesting work with BT in a, you know, in a wheelchair rather than before. So, really so you, in some regard, having a job that uh, being in a wheelchair didn't make it any more difficult. Um, it, or, you know, if you were in a manual job or something like that, then that could, you know, this that kind of thing can kind of effectively end oh no, some yeah. of his career, couldn't it? Oh, no, completely. I mean, I was very lucky I could go back to the job I was doing. You know, it was tough because like, travel was not so easy and all the rest of it, but... I was very fortunate that I could just stop back in and do and work, you know, and actually work was a massive positive thing in my life then because it kind of gave me a drive to get up and get ready and get to work. And, and actually, yeah. you know, I felt that, you know, without it, I think I could have languished a bit more in, in self-pity. But in the meantime, it gave you a focus. Yeah, it gave you something yeah. to focus on. Has yeah. it also, is it also made you more acutely aware of people you know on the fringes or or, or people that are kind of feel different think, or people that feel left out and, and 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 that sort of framing your politics well you know that i mean i've always felt a bit like that being a labor party sort of you know person i've always felt that my sort of social justice values were at the forefront but i'll tell you what i did do was bring sharp focus into actually do we listen to disabled people when they give feedback and yeah. I was on the planning committee, right? They agreed the the centre as it was. We, I removed the old centre and agreed the the new one. And lots of disabled people came to us to talk about how difficult the um, the proposals were in terms of transitioning across the centre. And we we yeah. put some routes through, but didn't listen to them completely. And talk about it come back to haunt me. You know, as a disabled person, you know, I've sort of suffered the fact that I didn't listen back there as an able bodied person. So. Yeah, I think I think it definitely brought into sharp focus how difficult things are for disabled people, as well as all you know minorities, how tough the world can be. But nevertheless, it also meant that it kind of also kind of gave me a drive to make sure that that actually we don't you know we kind of fight for a better world. It sort of gave me the more of a drive to make sure we did that. Sure, sure. And you were involved in politics before the accident. Yeah, yeah. So I first joined the Labour Party in 93 after the 92 election loss. And then I'd become a councillor in 97 for Hengrove. And I was there for two years. And then I moved to Noel West. Well, Philwood Ward, but yeah. Noel West. And, so you yeah. were actually, from what we said at the beginning about being the man in the shadows, 
you, your political sort of career did start out as you being a, a, a councillor, sort of being in, in front. How is it different and what feels more intuitively right for you in, in politics? So basically, I was a chair of Regeneration, so I was part of the sort of leaders briefing group, which was an informal cabinet, basically, back in the day. So I, I was part of a council that had committees. So I was in sort of leading, one of the leading roles. But my job was increasingly becoming busy, and it meant that I had to basically make a choice, really, between my job or the council. And I felt all the sort of old councillors used to say to me, you know, look after your job. This isn't going to be here forever and all the rest of it. So I enjoyed my time with politics and I did, I think I did a reasonable job. Yeah. But So you I were a councillor, I've got it, the info, so you were a councillor from 97 to 2003, Hangrave and Philwood wards in South, South Bristol. Yeah, yeah. You were also unsuccessful in becoming Labour's general election candidate for Bristol North West and you also stood to be Labour's mayoral candidate in 2016. It was for the election. It was a it was the 2010 election. I stood, Sam yeah. Townend was the guy who beat me. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't mind putting myself forward and stood against Marvin for that selection as well. So, yeah, and Dan Norris was, was, was Dan Norris and, and Helen Holland as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Michael Pete Hammond, who was the leader yeah. of the Labour group. Time. So yeah, yeah, it was a cast of many. My um, naughty, my naughty, cheeky question to you then is like, is that why you went into becoming a sort of you know a power broker behind the scenes, an election agent, because you were a failed losing politician? Yeah, I think yeah, that's no, no. I think there's, there's something about that. I mean, but I tell you what, what it felt like for me was it our politics doesn't end, and our drive to want to see change doesn't end just because you haven't been selected. Right. So I'm not going to take my ball home and feel sorry for myself. I'm going to do my yeah. best to 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 promote Labour and get us elected. So that's so that's my approach to it. And um, prior to standing. Are you to, better at that then, would you say, if you had to say either way? Well, definitely. That... I failed, haven't I, to get selected. <laughs> so definitely Is it, it, another cheeky question then. And this, you know, this applies to everyone. You know, they have that thing when they say that, what was it, radio is, is like telly for ugly people. Do you yeah, think, yeah. In, this is a general question, I'm not saying that you're ugly, Kelvin, but yeah. is there a general thing where the handsome people get put forward or the pretty people get put forward and, and the people behind the scenes, the sort of Dominic Cummings, is the Peter yeah, Mandelsons, yeah. You know, the Kevin Slocums, perhaps, that, yeah. or, that are, are people that are better in the wings because they're not, they haven't, they're not, the, you know, not everyone's the front man, are they? It's like a band, isn't it? It's like Oasis, you oh, know, yeah. Liam, Noel couldn't do what Liam does and Liam couldn't do what Noel does, you know? I um I don't know. I mean I, I you know, I guess it's you know, it's I think it's interesting that actually, you know, I just think there's a there's a moment for everyone and it's about kind of picking your moments and your opportunities. And I think that certainly what I wasn't gonna do was just because, you know, I didn't get selected for a for a role, I wasn't gonna think that I couldn't make a contribution, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you refute that claim. That people no, that are, that behind the scenes are, are not are not as attractive as the people come out in front. Yeah, definitely. I definitely, definitely yeah, I'm definitely going to challenge that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're election agent for Marvin Reese, and yeah. you've been election agent for MP Kerry McCarthy, and quite yeah. successfully as well. What is an election agent, and what do you do? Okay, election agents are sort of legally responsible for for the the election campaign, right? Mm. So, so essentially, not. 
filling out the right forms to basically make sure the candidate's a nomination is a legal candidate. In fact, some some says that um, that candidates are just a legal necessity. What you need is a good election agent. So we're we're there to basically make, take all the legal decisions and make sure that the things we do are within the rules. So we're and the only two people that can go to prison if you do the wrong thing by by way of an election is the is the agent or the candidate. Really, so, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's it. I mean, and there's different models of agents. Some some people take the legal, like just mm. do the legal bits, and there's a campaign manager alongside. Whereas I've always decided that if I'm going to take legal responsibility, that I'm going to go to prison. I want to make sure I have control over the things we do in the yeah. campaign. And hence, you know, with Marvin, I, I sort of led the campaign to get the to get Marvin elected as mayor, as well as done the legal bits as well. So in so, both. So if I've got this right, then so obviously Marvin lost the first election in 2012, which George won. You came yeah. in for the next election. Yeah, yeah. You won that with Marvin, and then you came in for the next one, and you won that with Marvin. So you and you actually got a pretty successful track record. Yeah, as yeah, a, I'm quite, as an yeah, agent. yeah. I'm quite proud of that. I mean, you know, so what I saw. So you've speak, won more as an election agent as you than you have as a politician. Oh, completely. Um, I mean, you know, I've sort of I saw the the kind of campaign we put together in 2012, and it was a bit of a disaster zone. And thought Marvin and the Labour Party deserved better, and I knew I could offer that. And Are we like to say who did it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the regional director Phil Gaskin, actually. But I always okay. kind of rid him. When I when I got Marvin elected, him, I texted him and said, "Yeah, that's how to do it." And he, did you really? Well, did you really? What rubbing his nose yeah. in it? And so yeah. he's a mate of yours. You know him, and it's in good, yeah, in a, it yeah. was a good I mean, humour way. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not with him, and, and yeah. he's a tough job. But basically, yeah, yeah, the, you know. So there's 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 that's what I mean. That you have to pick the right people for the right job. Yeah, you know? it obviously it was a different context, a different time though as well. That I mean, I think many people, I know that Marvin sort of had wasn't quite sure was he whether he was going to stand again or not and having done so yeah. perhaps learning the lessons as you said of what didn't work when he lost or, or, or what did work but also you could argue you, you said about the moments and times for politicians that maybe that came too early in an era where people maybe wanted a non-party politician independent yeah, yeah. and then sort of four years of that there was quite a kind of anti-George kind of alliance and momentum that was building in the city that Marvin also probably benefited from would that be fair? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the interesting thing about Bristol politics is, is Bristolians do think independently, right? That's why my generally, and you know, we're like we voted for the mayor, and then we got rid of the mayoral system, right? So, so we're not afraid to kind of change our minds and do different things, and I think that's a good thing about being in Bristol and and the thing that I like about us. But with Marvin's election, you know, we. We presented it, but George was the problem with George. He didn't listen, and one of the reasons why I really pressed on Marvin to help let me run his campaign was um, I took something to, to George Ferguson. Right, I wanted him to allow disabled blue badge holders to park in the in the residents' parking zones, and he had a ban on it. Right, he wouldn't let people use their blue badges, and I yeah. knew of a number of people that couldn't commute and work anymore. Right, so I took these concerns to him and we ran a little bit of a survey and I met him and he just said to me, oh, there are just loads of concerns and I and I have hundreds of concerns. He said, bring me some evidence. And I said, this is evidence. Anyway, he wouldn't listen. So I said to him, right, I'm going to get you out. I'll put, I'm going to make sure we get someone who will listen. 
right? So that was the kind of... You said that directly to him? I said that to George and... Um, How long before the next election it was, was a, it was a, It was a year or so, but interestingly enough, so after the election, right, so what happens is when you yeah. do the count, that's, that's the point when they count all the votes up, right, and then they realise that, yeah, they know the result, the candidate and the agents get told first. So we were yeah. in a room. We were in a room with George and his agent and, and Marvin and me. And yeah. um, we got told the result. And I just, I couldn't help myself. I, you know, I kind of wish I never did this now. But I said to George, I told you I'd get you out. So that was right. a bit vindictive. I, I mean, you know. I how, just, did he, how, did he, how did he respond? He said, well done. He did oh, it. did he? He t- yeah, he's, he did it in good humour, to be fair to him. Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, right. Um, so you kind of, you sort of put that out there and then I know made, George it, made it happen. Yeah. I know, I know George a long time. He's a decent mm. guy. I mean, he just shouldn't have been mayor, that's all. Can I just ask you, what sort of different approaches in campaigning from when Marvin lost to 2016 to 2021? Mm. Why did it fail? I suppose that's the first question when you weren't involved. What did you see that you needed to improve on, which you did in 2016? And what did you change in 2021 because as you say there there was a sizable opposition to some of the things that that Marvin put forward a lot more in 2021 than 2016. I think in 2012 basically the the election was too narrow and it only focused on speaking to Labour Party sort of people in like outward like outward sort of wards and and actually areas that didn't have a high turnout Right. So they kind of made a mistake of focusing the message to people that weren't going to come out and vote. Right. So so that's that was the mistake in 2012. In 2016, we basically focused a lot on a sort of presenting Marvin as a listening mayor and as a sort of the visions that he had, but also kind of contrasting that with with George is not listening. But but we spent a lot of money on printed media and talking to people. Right. Yeah. And in, in 2021, we spent loads more on social media and electronic advertising. So fo- focusing, using algorithms to focus your message to individuals. To target certain target, demographics. Target, yeah. target demographic individuals in, in certain yeah. wards. Well, that's, and that's, that, very, that's very Cambridge Analytica, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, it's <laughs> really big and the public be sort it's of... It's become like the normal thing, I suppose, now, yeah? It is, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's about... People get it on their, like, Facebook pages when they kind of click on stuff, they'll get ads targeted to them. And we did a lot of direct mail, so we sent letters to individual voters talking about our record and what we were proposing yeah. before. So we, so that's what we did. We and increasingly spent more money on digital and direct mails yeah. rather so than... And were you consciously then, what you just said about perhaps the first campaign, let Merrill campaign, which you weren't involved in, mm. were, I guess what you're saying was was talking, to sort of preaching to the converted a bit and actually perhaps to communities and areas that don't there isn't a big turnout. Were you consciously targeting a different demographic yeah. through digital media? Were you looking yeah. to get the, send the centre ground or perhaps people that would... Some of the former people that perhaps voted for George as well would they would yeah, you know completely. we completely target those also you target people that have voted already so the one thing yeah. that political parties now they don't know how people vote in elections but we do get so called the mark register which is basically a electoral register that lists every voter on it and it says whether they voted in the general election or whether they voted in the local election so we can target the people that voted and then what we did was we ran a campaign to try and get more people voting as well. And that was certainly in 
in inner city wards generally. Yeah. So we did a we did targeting voters that voted and tried to get more people voting. Were there sort of particular messages or particular kind of vision that you were wanting to portray to, to well, sort of bring? So it was so there was a sort of the key message was building about Bristol when we first ran it in twenty sixteen. And then we had a flat record of housing delivery and all the rest of it. So we traded on that. But it was generally, right, what we always do, or what we've increasingly done in Labour Party, and I think this Greens fail with this, is that we have, alongside a really strong environmental offer, we have a strong economic development offer, talking about jobs in the economy, making sure we have the right skills, you know, in our city. So, and often I think the Greens focus so much on their environmental offer and sort of negate some of those things. And, and the public... That, wants, uh, that message is changing now. If I'm making a docu on minorities and, yeah. and connection to green issues, like a general thing. And um, a couple of green politicians are, are briefly in it, and they are consciously putting out and repeating it. It was almost verbatim what both of them said. So there's clearly a policy change, which is about so, talking about social justice, social justice, social exactly. justice. So there's clearly they're clearly aware of that and trying to pivot a bit, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, no, I mean, they're, they're clever people. So they want to try and, you know, kind of put themselves yeah. in a strong position at the local elections to come, which is yeah. going to be an interesting fight. You know? Going into the local elections in May, there is a sizable sort yeah. of shift and a momentum within councillors building, you know, to the point that I think they've got a majority, uh, one more councillor as the lead yeah. the, the party with the most, with the most councillors. And the, so there's a shifting kind of yeah. sense. And on that, you know, the wider stuff about, about, sort of Bristol why, why has that happened and do you blame the Labour Party for that or is it just the Greens have been a lot better or is it a bit of both what's your well, personal view okay moving, moving away from the party political like stance yeah, yeah, of the yeah, party yeah, yeah. your own personal view on that no no generally I think um well first of all like the environment's a really important issue isn't it right so let's mm. be honest with you there's always been a sizable local sort of anti-Labour, not anti-Labour, what's the word? So a sizable, questionable Labour, you know, cohort of voters that they've yeah. not voted Labour. Lib Dems used to be the opposition in my day when I was elected as a councillor. So I think Greens have presented themselves in the right way at the right time, really, for, for their for their own position. But, of course, I will remind you, Neil, that every time they've taken power, they've been kicked out. So, you know, so give, I the, think give me the examples. Brighton and... And I think there's another place up in um, in near Ipswich. So, yeah. so I mean, the bottom line, so they haven't had much experience. That's not many, is it? I mean, that's and, you know, yeah. That but would, I mean, yeah. you know, but it's the first ones they've taken over, and they've been and they've booted out. So, uh, I, I want to play. Have, a, have Labour have Labour contributed to well, um, Brighton, the rise in the Greens? And if so, you know how? Obviously, the green issues and climate change is becoming increasingly more kind of important. There's always been an opposition. And you could say some of those sort of Lib Dems have jumped in yeah. at that camp. But is right. there something that Labour could have done better that they haven't or need to self-reflect well, on as well? Look, there's, look, there's never a perfect administration, right? So Marvin's made some mistakes. You know, there's some things we could have we could have done better, right? But overall, he's been... Like what? Well, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, perhaps we could have engaged the community more in some of the developments that have taken place, you know? But look, right. but, but... You know, I don't think that it's like the Labour Party has enabled the Greens. There's always been a sizable sort of questionable electorate. We've got a, we've got a clever electorate in Bristol, right? Like, let me give an example. The last election, 2021, Dan Norris got more Labour votes in Bristol 
than Marvin. Marvin got more Labour votes than the local councillors, right? So people, when they go to the vote, they had three ballot papers and they changed their vote on every single ballot paper. So we've got a really engaged public out there, right? And 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 they kind of, you know, they've basically decided that they want that mix, you know, in the, in the and it's our job. I'm not our job in the Labour Party is to kind of put the alternative, put a positive future and try well, and wrestle it, some of that I back. Mean, and I think that's probably good because you can get complacent, you know, yeah. and, and you could argue that the Labour Party have been complacent in some areas where they've always felt we're going to win that vote and, and you know, the Tories themselves in, you know, in the national, in, in general elections as well. I bit, quite, quite collegiate in your sense of, of, of analysis towards the opposition. That feels a bit different than I think a lot of people would feel, um, particularly, you know, some of the leadership around the mayoral team feel towards the opposition. Is that you just being nice sort of because you're on this or is that actually how, how you I'm feel or Genuinely, how I am. I mean, um, look, you know, it's tough when you're when you're in that. Like, you know, I'm not in that team in you know in Bristol City Council. You know, yeah. facing facing them them when they're not voting for certain things, they're causing difficulty or so, as the opposition should do, right? So yeah. Or, so I'm not facing that same challenge, and and also got you got to bear in mind, you know, all the things I'm doing outside the city mean that I'm working with Tories like Lib Dems, okay. at people that aren't aren't engaged in politics, whatever, that to yeah. get things done. And I think so I I'm really of of the mind that, you know, you've got to work with with people to get things done. And I'm Do you I, think I, then having that mindset mm-hmm. in the second term for Marvin Reese, having that mindset, particularly if we talk about the mayoral referendum, mm-hmm. when there was an opportunity to perhaps to give some seats to the Greens who didn't vote, you know, who didn't vote with the Liberal Democrats on having a vote on mail referendum in the chamber that then post-election, pivoting and changing. Do you, do you think that was a bit of an open goal that was uh-huh. that was provided for those driving that campaign against him? And would you have done that? I just, do you know what? I generally, rainbow like coalitions are really difficult to manage. And I think that, in a way, you know, and it's also, it's sort of like, it's this thing of when the public say, oh, I just wish you all come together and work together. I mean, it's yeah. complete rubbish. I think that's a um, different point, though. I, I, I understand that. But from a yeah. purely selfish Labour Party, if you're like an evangelical yeah. person who wants the mayoral system, you've got, sometimes got to play politics. And if you played politics and you've got to give a couple of, you know, give a few yeah, bones yeah. out to maintain the position then that's also being strategic, isn't it? I wonder if that could have stopped even getting to the vote. Oh, I see what you mean to, to at the actual council. Yeah, yeah, so the Greens didn't vote with the Lib Dems to put it forward as a motion. Like, yeah? Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't like those fudges, to be honest with you. I really no. don't. I, I think that they become then like the public distrust politics when there's back... Okay, so you were quite happy that it came to a vote and the public decided and the public voted so I to get rid this- of it? I was disappointed it's gone, right? Yeah. But I think... But you that accept that democratic I, decision. I yeah. accept it. And, you know, I mean, I think that we've got to run the system now as it as it is until maybe in the future we change it again. Just jump in and tell you a bit about the Bristol Cable. Um, so we are a membership organisation and we're always looking for members. So if you are interested, please do jump on our website. And there's many ways you can get involved with decision-making across the cable, chuck a pound, two pound, five pound, whatever you want to do every month and uh, be a part of the cooperative that's changing the landscape of media in the city.
back to the chat. There is the Bristol Northeast New Constituency. Your role is as chair of the, of the independent panel within the Labour Party for who is selected to be shortlisted for this. And we have a few people that have put their name forward, including current Bristol Mayor Marvin Rees. Just quickly outline what your role is, because before that, because obviously you've stood, as we've discussed, you've been Marvin's election agent. And now being the independent chair for a panel that decides who's going to be the next Labour Party MP for this constituency, of which Marvin's standing. Some people from the outside could look at that and go, hey. That's a bit. Yeah. That looks a bit sus, I, doesn't it? Well, let me let me let me explain. Right. So basically, the the within the Labour Party, the rules are that we form a selection committee, right? And and it's of the of the seats that are going to go into this new Bristol North East seat. Now, I chair the branch, the the biggest branch that's going into this seat. So Eastfield, Froomevale, and Hillfields branch. I, I'm the chair of it. So I've gone in, and basically, I I wasn't appointed. So when we had our first meeting recently to discuss the timetable to do this selection, my colleagues who were also on the selection committee elected me as the chair. The other thing is I want as many good people, the, the applications are closed, but I've basically been encouraging as many good people to apply for the role for, to become the MP. So I've not backed Marvin in this election. I think Can it's you great. see why some people might think it looks a bit dodgy yeah, yeah. there or not? Well, I'm going to, you know, I mean, I also point to fact I did stand against him back in in 2012, but but you know, um, and also election, you know, the other thing. So I I rate Marvin. I think he's a good person, right? And he's done great things for our city. But equally, I want the best person for for this role. So I'm yeah. encouraging of people that have got that have come forward. I've been open and honest with them about wanting the best people to apply for it. So and well, I there's know- a little. I guess there's a little bit. The reason why that, that, that there's a broader context to this is because there's been a few mm. situations across the Labour Party in recent times, hasn't there? Under sort of Starmer's watch, where the, the charge or the allegation is people are being handicked and it's not as democratic as possible. Yeah, and- no, I get that. And I just, well, all I can do is reassure people that I'm open-minded, and I am totally open-minded about it. And you know, yeah. there's already people that have put themselves. Forward, if they yeah, were... so who are they then? Let, let, who are who are they? Are well, you allowed I, to name them? I can only so so I'm not. I don't know actually of all the people that have put themselves forward because at the moment the application's closed and all the people that have applied have to be interviewed by the sort of party centrally from the N from the NEC. I mean, we don't know that list of people, but I can talk right, about okay. the people that have already said they're going for because a few of them have said publicly. We have got the fella, the, the yeah. Lewisham yeah, mayor, come forward, don't they? Yeah, Damien Egan. I've met him. He's a really nice guy. He's going for it. He grew up in Kingswood in the patch that's going into this new seat. Obviously, Marvin's going for it. There's a guy who's just been elected as a councillor in Kingswood called Sean Rhodes, and Sandy was applying for it. And then there's a, a woman called Lee Ingham, who's also a councillor in Kingswood. So she's applied for it as well. Now, there may be others, and that none of them, none of the others have contacted me. I don't know if you know any any others. On Twitter, I mean, I don't know if this is confirmed or not. It's it's on. Cass Self on, no. her, on, on her banner oh, okay. says, ready to win Bristol North East. Oh, okay. So I didn't, she's not contacted me, but, and I didn't know about that. So... Well, that's good. I mean, like, you know, we need, we just, we do need good people to come forward. How many do you to whittle it down to, to we then go and sort of battle have, against each other? Because what happens is you whittle it down and then they have to go to 
I guess, to different committees and do hustings and debate yeah, and stuff. Me, Is that right? Yeah, let me just explain the process. Basically, once the once we got the long list, we would decide the selection committee would decide yeah. on how many we're going to have for the short list. Okay. And we'll do short list interviews, yeah, and then decide yeah. who's who's going forward. And then th- then once the short list interviews take place, those shortlisted candidates can then contact members and then present their case. Then there's a whole member meeting right at the end of July where every member can vote, and also there's postal votes available. So right. in terms of in terms of me being some kind of stooge, you know, I'm not I'm not so good that I can convince the whole Labour Party who should be the candidate here. Every member in the in this maybe you, won't, you won't area, underestimate your your this, uh, yeah, abilities in, to do that. In, in this area, we'll be able to vote yeah. whoever they want. Yeah. Well, and did you know? And you don't know how many it's shortlisted to yet. It could be two, no, could be three, I, could be five. No, no, we haven't had to shortlist anything, but we haven't. Like, like, we've got to come up with that. I mean, my hope is it to try and put as many good people forward so the party right. has a good choice. Yeah, hypothetical now. Say yeah. Marvin wins the internal vote, yeah, and then goes on to stand when this this new constituency is announced at the next general election. Yeah, will you be his election agent? I don't and know. Would you be allowed to? Would you be allowed to be having been involved in the decision making process? Oh, once the decision making, I'm not allowed to come out and tell and well, one support any of the candidates throughout this process. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, um, sure. But and but after, but after, after, it wouldn't matter. After it changes, but I, I, I'll be happy, happily be the election agent for whoever gets selected. Yeah, if they want me. Okay. Is Kerry McCarthy carrying on? Well, Bristol East carries on anyway she is going to uh, carry on she's just going to lose a bit of chunk from her patch yeah but she loses is hillfield eastfield and Vale, but she gets lawrence hill and eastern yeah which, and a bit, um, of, a bit of Noel actually yeah there previously and i remember talking to some people that were kind of wanted to but kind of didn't really because of this there was female short all shortlist wasn't there for yeah labor that that's presumably that's changed now well, and then, if so what why why right so basically because we've got three women already in parliamentary seats, they basically, yeah. I think it was felt that this new seat could be a, an open selection. So we could still select a woman, but basically sure. it's an open selection. But we still do have all women shortlists. So I thought, yeah. you know, if, if Kerry's not retiring, but if she did, then I would imagine it would be all, all women shortlists. Okay. Understand. All right, let's move a little bit beyond that to your other stuff that you do because you're involved in politics, but you've also been non-executive director at the Bristol NHS Trust you're on you know you've also sat on a number of boards including Second Step including Wessel who I know quite well Bristol City Robbins Foundation that you are still a trustee there and also the SS Great Britain yeah which was a little caused a little bit of controversy we mentioned Dan Norris earlier I'm just going to read out a quote I'm sure you know what I'm going to say you're involved in that there was some sort of controversy over funding yeah so I'm just going to read this out in these newest political games this is Dan Norris saying this I'm being told that I have to agree to fund a list of other unrelated projects otherwise we can't tackle the climate emergency tackling Mm -hmm. the climate emergency cannot be conditional on funding a fashion museum in Bath or pushing through changes to Formby High Street funding the Albion Dock at the SS Great Britain project this is like saying I'll agree to my Christmas dinner, but only if I get every single present on my list to Santa and get mm. to eat all the chocolate in my stocking. And by the way, I'll have a tantrum if my presents aren't exactly the same value as his. That's yeah. a little bit, that's that's mm. kind of, I guess his point is that this funding is specifically for sort of climate emergency stuff. And actually 
funding is going to these organisations that that is a bit naughty because they're sort of friends with 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 the mayor or there isn't the main accountability. What when when he said that, how did you feel about that? Well, it's, it's interesting actually because Dan, Dan, yes, is great, and he was really supportive of the project. So, uh, so it's a bit, you know. So I don't know. Oh, so what he said publicly was different than what what no, um, no. he I said mean, privately. I, no, I think he's what it is. I mean, like you know, he's got Hokey Cokey Three or something like that, yeah, isn't he? About this, yeah. just by his yeah. own comments, but like yeah. you know, I'm not going to get involved. If I'll be honest with you, right, Neil, yeah. I'm not going to get involved in the sort of like the spats that have taken place publicly around funding yeah. and around the, the various leaders of the council and Marvin and whatever yeah. you bit you know I I just find it tedious and to be honest well, well, I'm not I'm not I get that the whole sort of pantomime of politics and playing people yeah, off the yeah. that's not what I'm trying to do what I'm trying to is basically kind of say that you obviously were uh, on, yeah, the, yeah. On, the, on the board yeah and you you know you are the election agent and quite quite close to the mayor Marvin Reese and the, the the sort of charge here is that funding's you know under Tim Balls wasn't it he kind of he was just sort of signing off money left right and center to these organizations that you know I guess he's saying that it's slightly nepotistic or not just nepotistic it's, it's just nothing to do with the climate emergency and he's he's coming in and he's going to crack the whip a little bit now um, I, I don't know I don't know if you, the context is like different so so Dan mm. agreed the funding to SS Great Britain not not under polls so maybe yeah. this is additional money going going so but Dan supportive of the Albion project because it's all about engineering it's about building the new Great yeah. Great Western and it's about built engineering job training places for young people so it's yeah. a really positive um, development but like the bottom line is like you know I've got a good relationship with both actually yeah. and dan's doing some good stuff for the city and i think i like i don't want to dwell get yeah. add to those arguments when actually i think it's better to kind of have your arguments behind closed doors right yeah. and actually have well, they've courted a- the media I, I, you're right about the pantomime thing i get that but the, both of them have courted the media a little bit on that stuff well, and, and, say- and have said said things to sort of mm. get a response. You know, they aren't stupid. They know but, if you say something like the media is going to pick that up. Of course they yeah, are. For me, it's kind of like, let's just, I want to do the best for Bristol, right? And there's, mm. and there's, and there's kind of, you know, there's compromises to be made. And actually what's not good for politics generally and also is playing into the kind of concepts that people think that politicians are, like argumentative mm. and yeah. petty and all the rest of it. And I think some cases we've just sort of, like done done that and we could have avoided it but but you know these things happen we just need to move on from it really yeah when you say could have avoided it what you mean almost like sometimes perhaps just keeping counsel or having those yeah, conversations yeah. behind closed doors yeah, yeah definitely because of it because i think that i think there's a symbiotic relationship i'm obviously, I'm obviously in the media you're in uh, yeah, politics yeah. is well, that and i think both sides moan at each other about sort of things but it is a symbiotic relationship that one feeds the, the other actually the and i think that that can be that can be positive but it also can be negative the media what an angle but i've, I've always had a good relationship with with, yeah. with, with the media and I think we you know we need each other but also there's this, this thing about searching for the truth right yeah. and and that's really important so having the media like call people out and searching for the truth is a really important thing for our democracy. Do you think they are doing that though because I mean well, I think a lot of politicians I talk to have a sort of feel that actually it, 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 they hide behind this as a noble search for truth but a lot of the time it's just a gotcha moment um, and, and it's no longer a noble pursuit as it was perhaps because of the digital media age do you think there's some truth to that no i think i think there's always going to be people that kind of just go a bit too far 
But as that, but the same can be said about politicians, right? Mm, so yeah. I much much rather us not living in a, in a timid society with the media worried about tackling politicians than 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 the media going a little bit too far sometimes. So that's that's my. So you're take. quite so robust challenge you, you accept as being oh. the kind of the rules of engagement and oh, and yeah yeah. Definitely. Do you think most politicians in Bristol do well, accept that? I'll let I'll let the listeners <laughs> decide on that. But you yeah, know, yeah. I, gonna, I, yeah. I I have a smile here sometimes. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tricky balance I think to to get sometimes. Um, you're also a board member of the Bristol Chamber, or you have been a board member of the Bristol Chamber of Commerce, a business network that connects and represents local businesses in the in the region this that's a kind of you know the role of business with with labor then it's always been quite a sort of sticky tricky kind of thing to get that balance right you know i, I you could say that it's a sort of it's a boss's union Bristol chamber of commerce are you comfortable or do you have to have difficult conversations sometimes with people in the labor party about being pro-business i like or that you sort of, i like yeah. that Bosses Union, that's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I think, so I, my take on that, so I, I joined it when I was uh, working for BT. So I was on the regional yeah. board for BT. So I kind of done some yeah. of the stuff. So, and I've sort of taken a bit of a backseat role on that now. But I thought if it's really important that we have left of centre voices mm-hmm. on right at the heart of, of, of all organisations. And we shouldn't just like think they actually, you know, they're either right wing or what have you, or bosses can't listen to to other voices and and I've always found yeah. that the the Chamber of Commerce in Bristol to be a really open listening organization that actually do promote good business and about mm-hmm. social good so and and that's under the leadership of you know, John Savage and then James Jury when he was there so so I, you know I I I've always felt quite at home there and then actually you know the interesting thing about labor is that is it you know whilst we support workers, workers do need jobs. So actually, there's there's a really important role for generating jobs and businesses in the city. And I've always felt that actually, then if we can promote the good jobs and good companies, that that's that's the role that, that I wanted to do. So so, you, so it's better to be in the in the tent having those conversations and and influencing than being on the outside. Absolutely, and and I've always felt. It, you know, uh, they've been listening to organisations, you know. Do you think uh, it's quite a juvenile position on the left sometimes then to be like, oh, you know, fuck big business, oh, it's a bit, you know, that it's a sort of student politics thing to be a little bit like that? I think it comes from a position of not knowing, a bit of ignorance when people are like that, you know, but when you're in business, you know, you're involved with good businesses, you know, that, that I mean, well, let me, it comes back from growing up in Nol West and the thing that liberated me was getting a job and earning a salary, right? And actually, that's that could be the like the one transformational thing that can 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 has enabled someone to kind of get on, get an education, get change their outlook on life. What well, move 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 on through the sort of social mobility? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, so, that that would be called cool. that's like, that's neoliberal politics, though, isn't it, Kelvin? That's the criticism, isn't it? That's charged. I guess people that are more on the centre or the centre left in in the Labour Party, it's neoliberal politics. Well, rather than changing and sculpting communities. No, no, I think whilst you're doing that, so you encourage people to go up, you know, to be social mo- socially mobile, you're also making sure that you have social responsibility and justice. So you mm. ensure you tax people right, you invest it in the right things, and that we actually look after the people that can't work and people that, that are on benefits, give them more opportunity and invest in them. So yeah. whilst 
I think, yeah, we need growth and like, you know, businesses to grow and all the rest of it and new jobs. But we also need to kind of get like tax and invest in our social services and our social welfare, social security and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm of both ilk, you know? Yeah. And and I suppose the third sector, with all the sort of austerity cuts that have happened to various, you know, across the country and also local authority funding and, and cuts cuts locally. So having that, you know, all business is evil is, is just a silly oh, um, political position. Do you, have you, do you see that? Though? Because sometimes I would say if you look on, I don't know, sort of social media a little bit, you, you've got into a few battles with a few sort of people, particularly around that stuff, around third sector and the line of where business is. That's kind of why I'm talking about it a bit, really, where like where your politics sits within that. How do you see those people? Do you just see them as not really understanding what the third sector and the charity sector is? I think there's or do, a you, do you see them having any valid points? I don't know. I was no, watching it around around the election and around after that time. And usually you don't get involved, but you with some of this stuff you did a little bit at that point. Yeah, I think generally, right, I'm not going to have a go at people that are calling out like issues. Do you know what I mean? And I think that yeah. there's a place for people to call out like bad, bad, bad business practices or, you know, but there's, there's also a kind of, like, I mean, I also don't want to enter like the sort of echo chamber, right? Sometimes it's social media can be. Sometimes I do, you know, I kind of get fed up with it, with someone labouring on a point around this stuff. But generally, you know, I think what we need is a sort of all our sectors to be pulling in the right direction. But we do yeah. need strong government, which we seemingly, seemingly not had in the last few years, to kind of ensure that we regulate these uh, the business correctly. And, and freedom. Because that's a big money now, isn't there? I mean, that are, you know, the, the, the third sector's getting bigger and bigger and there's big money. So those sort of robust, you know, a bit of robust scrutiny is a good thing. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, yeah, if, if, if done in the right if done in the right way with, with good faith. But but what you're kind of saying is a blanket dismissal of business and charity sector is just not... No. Um, it's yeah, not the right not, thing. Not the way, not, not it's not a yeah. reality of what's happening, right? Yeah. So we just got to be aware every day of the week people are, deli- are delivering really good services to individuals like, you know, yeah. in their home that are made up of private public sector bodies that are doing good good collaborative work. And I guess that's a philosophical debate. Should these services all be delivered by the state? Yeah. yeah. But also if they're not, does it really matter if at the point of need the, the, the same people are receiving a service? Let me give you another example. So I'm on the North Pacific NHS Trust. I've spent 10 years on as a non-exec. Sometimes down the, the, the trust that runs the BRI, which is a separate trust than the one that runs Southmead, right? So I've spent 10 years as a non-exec. And we're just, like, you know, hopefully going to be signing a contract for more diagnostic facilities to support, right, people to get access to treatment quicker. And that those diagnostic services can be delivered by a private company because they do, that's what they do. Right yeah. now, the fact is, if we were to try and do that stuff ourselves as the NHS, it would take us like double the time to do it, and probably cost us, you know, a third of the more money to do it. And whereas actually buying it from a private contractor to support actually the costly part of the work, which is doing the operations and all the rest of it, um, bringing them in to deliver a service that enables people to get treatment faster is a sensible thing, and I support. And you know. Ideology. If I was ideology, if I had sort of ideology around this stuff, I wouldn't want to do that. Mm. But actually, the practical reality is bringing this company in will speed up our ability to get people diagnosed with what they operations or what treatment they need, 
and we'll be able to get more people through the system. And that, to me, makes sense. You're a Blairite, Kelvin. <laughs> well, now, I, I, you know, I, the, that is that it is it's the, the public private thing. Is it's the third now, way, isn't it? Yeah. I want more. I want the. Pu- I want. And I didn't mean that disparagingly. Like as in that's, no, that's, no, no, the, no, that's the politics. I, yeah, I support Blair apart from the war, but you know his ethos towards this was about kind of making sure we deliver good public services. That said, I do want stuff generally delivered by the public services. I don't want to outsource waves of public services to the private sector. I don't yeah. think that makes sense. But where we can use them in limited capacity to to deliver better service to people that makes sense doesn't it we got forty thousand people waiting on a waiting list for the services at at southmead and we need to get that down and you know in an ideal world you want more services to run the public but in the days forty thousand people if they're not you can't just stand on a point of principle no exactly and not do anything about it and that that's where that sometimes the, the, the the line in the sand kind of needs to be made i think yeah perhaps perhaps I'm going to have to wrap it up now because we're, we're we're coming to the end. The last thing I want to say, your future political ambitions, you might be, or rumours are, you might be coming back out of the shadows. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So basically, I've, I've, I've not decided fully yet, but basically I'm on the panel for potential Labour candidates at the next local election, right? So I've got to make my mind up in the next month or so whether I want to stand for a, a particular seat. If I did stand, it'll be in my local area, which is like Broombell or Hillfields area. So yeah, so I might I might be coming back, Neil. I might be putting my head above the parapet, and then I've got. Um, who's going to be? Who's going to be your election agent? Well, I could be myself, but I. But then yeah. I've actually got to prove. Do you want me to I, do it? Do you want me to I, do it? Well, I've got to prove that I could actually, like, everything I've done for other people, I could do for myself. <laughs> That's brief in the pudding, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Do as I do, not what I say. Yeah. Thank you ever so much, Kelvin. I look forward to seeing seeing you out in front yes. and proving that, that ugly people can make <laughs> yeah. it in frontline politics. Yeah, um, absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> Thanks for that, Neil. Okay. No, I'm any, I'm any vessel. Yeah, I Maybe one day I might take a stab, but Martin Booth almost did. That didn't last sure. long, did it? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, we'd definitely prove that point about ugly people then, wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> what, with me or Martin? Well, I'd just I'd, I'll leave that hanging. But, but leave that hanging, yeah, you mean, yeah, he means exactly. both. That's terrible, yeah. yeah no, no, yeah. no. no just, just Martin, just Martin. I'm a very handsome I'm a very, no, 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 I'm a very handsome man. Just Martin. <laughs> All the best, Kelvin. Cheers. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. Many thanks to this week's guest on Bristol Unpacked, Kelvin Blake, and we'll be back next time with another guest and another fantastic topic. I'm Neil Maggs. Big thanks to our executive producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, and to our production team from the Bristol Cable in collaboration with Ession Noise. Also, Blue Dot for our music. <laughs>